But the second he postured, I noticed his fists clenching and I began to back away. Just as I back away, I noticed his arm coming up and he actually ended up striking me twice in the back of the head with the object. Hey gang, I guarantee if you're watching the main channel, you're seeing these videos of people in self-defense encounters all the time. Uh, people start bleeding, they start bleeding fast. We as self-defenders should be interested in all the tools that can protect and preserve innocent life. And good trauma gear can do that. It's just as important as a fire, maybe more so. Listen, trauma is trauma. Whether it's a vehicle accident, a farming accident, or a gunshot wound, when seconds count, you need the right equipment for the job. You must get your trauma gear from a reputable source, and Mountain Man Medical is ASP's go-to source for all of our medical gear. Go to mountainmanmedical.com and let them know you heard about them on the Ask Podcast. Alrighty, gang. Welcome back to the Active Self-Protection Podcast. I am once again your host, Mike Williver, your favorite. Former Fed with us today is my new friend, Jim. Jim uh, hails from the West Coast. He is a law enforcement officer and, and again, an agency to remain unnamed. And uh, he is here to tell us a rather interesting story uh, about an off-duty incident where he was working uh, loss prevention. Jim is married with kids, and uh, I'm happy to have him. Jim, welcome on the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right. So first question I generally tend to ask is, uh, do you have a, a lifelong uh, background in self-defense, firearms? Did you grow up around guns, that sort of thing? I I did. Um, my father taught me how to shoot guns when I was little. Uncles, cousins. Yeah, it had been around it most of my my life. Right on. So you, uh, we don't have to name your agency or whatever. If you want to give us a general overview of what kind of uh, work you do professionally. Uh, well, I'm actually retired medically uh, from law enforcement, worked in the state prisons here in California, uh, spent probably the better part of the last 30 years protecting celebrities, dignitaries, so on. Um, in the last five years, I've been working here in the Bay Area uh, doing loss prevention, asset protection type work. We encounter all kinds. Yeah, I'm sure you, I'm sure you do. So w when you worked for, uh, I guess we can name it since you worked in California with the state prison system, that's CDCR. When you worked Correct. for them, uh, how would you characterize your training that you received from them, uh, from the state as far as uh, self-defense and firearms related training? Uh, well, as most know in, in the, cor in corrections, uh, most officers are unarmed. Uh, you, you have to rely on hand-to-hand -hand type defense and OC spray. Uh, those are your two best friends while working. Um, but at the same time, we also are taught how to use, I guess you could say, uh, verbal judo try to de-escalate and, and calm situations without having to get physical. Yeah. And in my previous life, one of my, one of my jobs for a couple of years was going to, you probably remember this was going to the local County and, and uh, state 
jails and prisons to interview people for immigration related stuff. So that's something mm-hmm. that I did a lot. I'm sure you remember that, you know, immigration people coming in to do that sort of thing. The idea being that if someone is here, you know, legally or not, but they've committed a crime, specifically a felony, they might be amenable to being removed from the United States. But uh, while doing that, um, I was able to get a really good inside look at, at what how that looks and what it's what it's like to be inside of a facility like that. And I got to tell you, I couldn't do it. It's it doesn't seem like very pleasant work. You're in there. You're kind of locked up yourself, you know, what, for eight hours, 10 hours a day with with the inmates. So uh, and I it's would, more like 18 to 20 hour days. OK, yeah, no, thanks. Uh, <laughs> and these places are usually out in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of a bleak setting almost always, you know, like Calipatria and and, uh, and others. So uh, I, I thank you for doing that uh, service. It's definitely an unpleasant thing to have to do, but someone has to do it. So I thank you for doing that. And I can confirm that when you're in a facility like that, the your best bet is to talk your way out of stuff and, and not not end up um, in an altercation because you never know there could be 30 other people on the side of the person you're fighting. And that's the last thing you want. Exactly. Exactly. It's It's definitely about respect. So... You have to respect them, and they, they in turn, give you the same. Yeah, and it's not, I think, for people who've never been around the, the sort of individual we're talking about, they, they, be, they really do become institutionalized. They, 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 it becomes a point where they are, like, their whole world is in the prison. And so they, they, don't, they don't think the same way uh, you or I think or people on, you know, out in the world think. It's a different, whole different way of living. Anyway, uh, let's talk about your incident. You sent me a, a video. And so far, I have a terrible track record of getting the podcast interview out the same way that John puts the video out on the main channel. But with any luck, uh, when this comes out, we will have um, John will have broken down the the video that you sent us of the incident. All right, James, let's talk about your incident now. Uh, you were working um, one of these uh, loss prevention gigs. Where, what sort of setting were you in? And walk us through what you were doing when this all kicked off. Okay, so. The, the incident takes place inside of a grocery store. Um, there's two locations here in San Francisco. And they're in an in a area where it is low income. Um, so that there's a lot of crime. Um, we deal with homeless, drugs, you name it. it we deal with it in, in these particular stores. Uh, part of our job there is to ensure the safety of the guests as, as well as employees who are in these locations. Um, on this particular day, I was sitting at the door uh, watching cameras while the security guard that works there is on their break. Mm-hmm. Uh, the manager and I were having a discussion and he mentioned to me, Hey, that guy just came in. So we both looked. And at the same time, one of the cashiers said, Hey, he just left with beer. So I walked out the door, approached him as he was setting one of the cases of beer down and just told him, said, Hey, just set it down, let it go. Um, very calmly and in the video you can actually see i approach him very calmly non-aggressive and just instantaneously he turns has uh his fist clenched 
he's rambling incoherently. Uh, the only thing I hear out of his mouth prior to him uh, literally taking a swing at me was, what are you going to do? You're just a white boy. Interesting choice of words. So a couple things uh, for people who haven't seen the video. Uh, this mm -hmm. is not a small person. This is uh, this is a big dude. He is a big guy. I'm six foot and about 227 pounds. This individual is approximately six to uh, 350 pounds. So the guy, and, he, does, he does not miss a lot of meals. That's what we're telling us. <laughs> and this was not the first time we've encountered this individual uh the the on a previous incident he actually had been tased by one of my partners who also came from a corrections background uh that time he managed to get away and uh the police didn't catch up with him so going back to what you said a moment ago, you said, uh, mm -hmm. set it down, let it go. Were you willing to let him put the beer down and walk away? And if so, is that a result of, I hate to, I don't want to uh, lead the witness here too much, but is that, could that be a result of maybe the, your idea that the DA in San Francisco was not going to prosecute this anyway? Uh, exactly. Um, I've been doing this for five years, as I said, and our, how, how can I put this? The way that we have been dealt with, worked with the, the district attorney and the San Francisco Police Department, there's not a whole lot that the city actually does as far as the petty theft crimes. Mm -hmm. uh, in California, it falls under Prop 47, which says anything under $900 uh, is petty theft. Yeah, I was working in California when that passed, and we we kind of half-jokingly said they just kind of legalized a whole bunch of crimes. In effect, that was the effect of what happened after that passed. And this is essentially what has happened in this city. As a result, um, these stores are losing, I, I'm not going to say millions, they're losing billions with a B, and the stores are getting tired of it. So they hired guys like us to come in and try to detour much of those crimes. So over the past five years, we've, when we stopped the people, we were just, it's like, hey, we just want this stuff back and you'll be on your way. We're not going to arrest you. We're not going to, we just want the items back and you go. Quite, quite literally, loss prevention. Just prevent the loss and, and cut your losses and don't worry about prosecution. Correct. So we, we approach every person the same way. Um, it's easier to, to approach them calmly, talk to them and say, hey, look, this is, this is what it is. Um, and, and unfortunately, I've dealt with many of them that are what you would classify as professional shoplifters they come in and will literally steal 899 dollars worth of items uh yeah i mean anyone who's been paying attention to the news uh 
will recall having seen any number of surveillance videos of people walking, especially in San Francisco and LA, people walking mm-hmm. into a CVS or a Walgreens and just filling up a cart and walking out unchallenged. And it's it's pretty crazy, but that really is how it happens. It's not, you know, that isn't an isolated yes. incident. That's pretty common. Yeah, even the Target stores to the point that they close at 6 p.m. at, at night now, they because most of our our thefts, the larger amount of thefts occur once the sun starts going down. I, I there's an ongoing joke that we have that it's like, oh, it's Friday, they've opened the doors, and referring to a lot of the mental people that are coming out and uh, some are coming and literally stealing food just to eat Mm -hmm. those people i mean people look at me like i'm weird but you can tell the difference when somebody's taking something because they're hungry and when, when they're taking something because they just want the money for drugs or alcohol or whatever well the first clue might be the fact that they're taking bologna and wonder bread or they're taking uh, nikes and a flat screen correct you know and those kind of individuals i'll buy the food for them sure literally i will take the food up to the register pay for it give it to them and i i can tell you probably 90 percent and, and that's not an exaggeration. 90% of those people will not return to the store. Interesting. I've had many return to me and say, I don't want to go in and steal, but I'm hungry. Would you buy food for me? Sure. I will be happy to buy you food. And I do it. I mean, and, and Mike, in five years of doing this, I have photos of well, photos and videos of 3,500 people that I have stopped in these stores. Some have physical encounters with um, to others that, hey, no problem. Here you go. Would you and, say the majority of people are cooperative or uncooperative? Um, out of 3,300, I probably had maybe 200 that were, would put up a fight even for an ice cream. Right. So going back to the incident at hand here, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're, you're walking out front. People will see in the video exactly how it went down. It's, it's a pretty good video, but you're out there doing your best John Dalton from Roadhouse. You know, let's be nice until it's time to not be nice. And right. uh, you approach this guy, and as you said, it's pretty clear in the video, he became hostile almost immediately. Uh, walk us through exactly what happened. You walk up to him and say what? I walk up to him and tell him, just just set him down and go home. Just give me the beer back, be on your way. And you've seen this guy before. You've been inter- inter- at least someone there has interacted not, with. I have not dealt with this individual before. I've seen him enter the store and leave before. Uh, never had to deal with them myself. Uh, he instantly became hostile. Um, he was holding a cell phone or, well, at the time I didn't realize it was a cell phone, but 
he had an object in one hand and he had set the beard down because he was trying to adjust his hands to be able to walk off with both cases of beer. Mm -hmm. And when I, when he turned, he instantly began to posture, uh, you know, and he's standing maybe two inches from me face to face. And I'm not one that's easily intimidated size to me doesn't make a difference. But the second he postured, I noticed his, his fist clenching and I began to back away. Just as I back away, I noticed his arm coming up. So in the video, you would see me duck away trying to avoid getting struck. And he actually ended up striking me twice in the back of the head with the object. So he, he had an object in his hand. It wasn't a fist. No, it wasn't a fist. It was. It ended up being his cell phone that he actually hit me with in the back of the head. Hmm. And that was why I pulled my pepper sprayed it to begin with and sprayed him. And when I noticed the guy was still going to advance, that's when I drew my firearm. <clears throat> Excuse me. I drew my firearm and started giving him instructions to put put a, the object down. So Jim, backing up for just one moment to something that you said uh, about the actual assault. Two things. One, were you immediately aware of what it is he was hitting you with? And two, did those blows have any effect? Did you feel like you were going to pass out or anything like that? Uh, I did not know what he had in his hand. Uh, I, I just seen a dark object in his hand. It was clenched in his fist. Um, he struck me in the back of the head, once behind the left ear and once at the base of my, my skull. Uh, I could feel that it was a hard object and it hurt. It made me stumble a little bit. And at that point, I started to fear for my safety mm -hmm. and that led me to drawing my firearm and trying to put distance between myself and him. Again, this is a large man. I knew if, uh, he got me off my feet, it, it was going to be bad. Yeah. And that's one of those things that I think, uh, uh, military law enforcement security experience teaches you that perhaps the, the average self defender, uh, who's hopefully listening to this and learning something today because you get, especially get a much bigger person like that. They've shown a propensity for violence. They've shown the means, opportunity, intent to injure you, potentially disable you. You can't wait around to be disabled to up the level of force you're willing to use at that point. So you, you, you draw your gun. Now in the video, I, I really admire the way that you kept moving, kept your gun side away and then ended up holstering when appropriate, but I'm gonna get too far ahead of myself. So you, Draw your gun. Uh, does it seem to have any effect on his behavior immediately? No. He actually began advancing on me. That's not good. <laughs> uh, he began advancing on me as my gun is pointed at him. Mm -hmm. um, but you, all, you may not even notice immediately. Uh, it actually took me a, a couple of times reviewing the video that I noticed he actually kind of put his arm down and kind of 
flings it behind him, and that's when he released the cell phone that he had in his hand. And then he also throws down the, the second case of beer. Um, and he continued to advance on me. And at that time is when I reholstered and hit him with OC spray again. And by the second time, that's when the spray actually started to take effect. Now, this isn't the aerosol. This is pepper gel. Mm-hmm. So it's a little different. There's no, you know, there's no big old mist in the air that's going to affect anybody and everybody around. Um, I hit him. I mean, I, I soaked his face, unfortunately, but he continued to advance. Explain to so, our audience why that's unfortunate, because I already know, but they may not know. When you said it was unfortunate, you you doused him a little too much. Why is that not good? Well. There's always that that time that it takes for the spray to actually go into effect. And when you reapply, it takes that much longer. So you're you're essentially washing off the original and starting over again. Now, I know that's true of aerosol, whether it's a conical mist or a stream that the propellant has to begin to evaporate before the actual pepper granules themselves take take their effect. Now, I've never used pepper gel. I don't have an opinion on it. I know that John's not a huge fan of the gel versus the spray. Um, I'm kind of agnostic as it stands. I've never seen um, pepper gel used in the wild other than your incident. Would you, in retrospect, would you still recommend the gel versus a spray? Do you still prefer it? What are your thoughts? I... Yeah, me personally, I, I prefer the aerosol. Unfortunately, though, um, inside of a grocery store, they use HVAC systems. And so it, it's quickly will spread through the entire store right. and affect every single person in the store. Uh, we had an incident where it we literally had to evacuate the store. The fire department had to come in with big fans and it, it's not a good thing. So they don't actually per, permit us to use the, the aerosol Interesting. Uh, indoors anymore. The gel, it, it takes maybe a few seconds longer, but most people just as a normal reaction, when you get hit with something wet, you have a tendency to wipe mm-hmm. and, once you wipe gel, it it uh, becomes even that more effective. So it's um, like pepper spray and napalm. It sticks. I, I'm sorry, I cut you off. There. No, that's okay. You, you you actually to my point. I said it's kind of like pepper spray napalm, where it sticks to everything. Correct. And the second you wipe it, it activates that much faster. And most people have a tendency to wipe it across their eyes. Well, when you do that, you're putting it more into the eyes. Right. right. And it starts burning that much faster. So in the video, you see the individual all of a sudden, he'll kind of shake his face or shake his head. And he bends over. And as he bent over, he's trying to wipe the gel off of his face. And that didn't, didn't work out for him. No, at that point is when I think he started to to think a little more about, okay, I, I'm going to give up. 
he he tries to grab at me a couple more times and then he starts to walk away uh now at the end of the video that i sent to you guys you notice me kind of bobbing and weaving there he had actually picked up a a bottle of beer and was trying to throw it at me and fortunately he missed and hit the pillar that was there um and then he went home right across the street can I just interject here and say that the the abuse of the beer is probably the biggest crime that happened that day? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so during this whole thing, uh, I, I did notice in the video there appeared to be another individual that was with you walking out. Was he with you or was he just happened to be walking out at the same time? No, actually, that was the manager. Okay, and that he, makes sense. He's present to observe the situation. Their, their policies are, there are nobody, there is nobody in those stores permitted to approach, talk, touch, anything else, even, even with a shoplifter. They can lose their jobs. So we, as off-duty, are the only ones permitted to stop somebody that's stealing. And... There, the managers come out um, basically to be the to be the witness. Sure, that makes sense, and a representative of the business. Correct. So we we deal with it that way, and um, so the manager just happened to be at the door when everything went down to begin with. So um, he comes out, and then of course they have to do their paperwork because now I now had to pepper spray somebody and. You know, they're they're scared to be sued sure. these days. So we got to cover all bases. So he ends up walking home. Turns out home was almost literally right across the street. So at some point, I mean, for no other reason than to document your use of force, you call San Francisco police. Is that correct? That is correct. And they show up three days later and what happens uh, actually they showed up fairly quickly it nice. was a matter of a couple of minutes which okay. is the first for me usually it's an hour or two and j just to give everybody an idea the san francisco police department is literally right behind us okay their building connects to our building um but there are no officers there unless they're there doing paper um, so the first officers arrive, I give them the information, the manager points out where the individual left because after everything was said and done, I turned around and did the same thing that I was trained to never do. Hmm. Wipe, wipe my face after oh. I got the spray also on myself. Oh, Jim, I feel your pain. <laughs> so, but I carry... I carry a, a decon kit, um, which actually wipes off the spray and then also eases the the burn. So I went in and was taking care of myself and then came back out a couple of minutes later and uh, spoke to the police. And it ended up taking eight police officers and with the use of uh, less lethal to remove the individual from his home and take him into custody.
so they they respond to you, then the, your manager points out, hey, he went that away, and they figured out exactly what it was an apartment or condo. They figured out what unit he was in. It, it, it's a uh, well, San Francisco is kind of unique. You know, there's buildings, and then you got inside the buildings, you got individual rooms that are rented out as apartments, and uh, evidently he lives with his mother. Shocking. Uh, yeah, his uh, mom spoke to the police. She signed a, a release form giving them permission to enter the property. And they brought him out. And uh, when I saw him without a shirt on, I was like, wow, that's a really big man. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so mom signs a release. I mean, I, I can I infer that it, had she not signed it, they would have been powerless to go in there and do anything. I mean, I'm not sure exactly what their policy is. Yeah, it just, I think that was a, a CYA thing for them. Um, because all in all, it was me and, and I hate to say this, but it's us that have to tell the police what charges we want to file against the individual. And, it is because if you give it to them, they're going to say, okay, this is petty theft plus battery. Right. Well, essentially the second you begin to use force or fear to take something that does not belong to you. It's robbery. It is no longer petty theft. Yeah. It's robbery. Yeah. So we but, had to push that issue with them. And here they call it a nexus robbery. Okay. So just real quick, back to the thing with the the, the permission mm -hmm. form or, or the waiver of whatever that mom signed. So she signs that they're able to go in and get him. But it was, you know, it was not, it was no small thing. They had to fight with the guy and deploy pepper spray. So that's going to be awkward at Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be very awkward. And, and it was my understanding after the fact, I was advised that, oh, yeah, this is the same individual that, one of my partners got into it with uh previous and he had to tase him then well from what i understand this individual um has mental issues and he was not on his medication so he had been fighting with his mom prior to him coming to the store to steal the beer so were any charges actually filed? Did he actually go through the criminal justice system or did the DA just drop everything? No, as of now, he's still in custody. Um, and we are, my, as I told you the other day, I met with one of the investigators to, uh, they're, they're starting the process for, for, uh, the pre prelim. And well, I'll have to go and, testify on the video and um point out who i am why i approached him sure um go through all the motions uh but the original the the charges are going to stand as far as the robbery goes at this point um we have a new district attorney in san francisco um who was just appointed so we shall see Interesting. How this plays out. So talk to me about your employer's reaction to all this. Were they feel like this was a proportionate response on your part? Did they have any issue with any of the use of force or were they worried about liability? Talk to us about that. Um, the, the, the 
client is there there's a new head of loss prevention um my direct bosses are all prior law enforcement so they they support 100% i'm able to to justify every level of force i use um uh, both through written as well as the video I, I try to do my best to make sure that everything I do is on video mm -hmm. to support my actions. Um, and I'm actually the longest living doing this job with this particular grocery store chain. Uh, I've had partners that they've removed because the client is just like, no, that's too much. Right. Um, we don't want that. Uh, even now, they tell us unless we are protecting someone or ourselves, we want them to just go, let, let them walk away if they're going to put up a fight. And unfortunately, you're not going to know somebody wants to fight. Yeah. Unless it happens. Until it starts. Yeah, for sure. So that's where we, we kind of leave it. And I'm just, for me, yeah, you, you see somebody posturing there, there's, a great chance that that's exactly what they're going to do is they want to take it to the next level. So let's just, um, in, in closing, let's discuss lessons. Uh, the only thing I, I, the only thing I saw that I think I might've done differently in, you know, in and again, easy for me to say, I'm watching a video in the comfort of the active self-protection world domination studio. So easy yeah. for me to say, but, uh, maybe the initial approach, do you think perhaps, uh, not getting quite as close might've, might have prevented some of this or what are your thoughts? Is there anything you would have done differently? Um, well, for me, it's, <laughs> I try to keep my distance. Uh, typically I approach so closely this time because he had set the product down. Okay. And I actually had a hold of the first case of beer at the, at the same time he turned, um, so one hand was actually occupied and the second he began to posture. I mean, it, it happened like within seconds, I released the case of beer and literally tried to duck out of the way. But yeah, I, to me, getting up close and personal is never a good thing. Um, it, it's usually I try to keep and maintain six feet at least right um i normally carry a a taser and all my other tools on my belt but my taser had been broken a previous altercation uh, and i haven't had it replaced yet so it's one of those where i'm kind of uh i wanted to grab the product and back away it just didn't work out that way this time so i just want to point something out uh, to our to our listeners, and I'm sure you already know this, Jim. You'll you'll yeah. hear activists uh, who who are lamenting law enforcement use of force, and mm -hmm. in this case, had this gone even worse, had it gone even more poorly, and he had continued to assault you or produced, you know, uh, you know, a brick or a bat or something, and you'd end up having to shoot him. The headline would have been what? Young man murdered over case of beer, you know. Uh, it it right. would it would that's how it would have been presented is like no one should die over you know stealing some beer 
blah, blah, Correct. blah. And the, the fact is, and John likes to say this uh, on the main channel a lot, the perp has a vote. The bad guy has a vote in how these things end up. Fortunately for him and you, frankly, and everyone else, he decided to, you know, the pepper spray was ouchy and he's going to go home to mama. So that's how this one ended. And that, that's a good thing in, in the end that uh, no one ended up getting killed. But I just want people to recognize if you're working one of these types of jobs, uh, things can go poorly very quickly. In your case, they kind of did, but you were able to fend him off and, and off he went. So I think it's a good outcome uh, in the end. Jim, was there anything it's you want? Oh, go ahead. There are always things. I And I'm going to tell you this. After drawing my gun, you can ask my wife as my witness for the past two weeks now. I replay this over and over and over in my mind about can I do, should I have done it? What would have happened if I would have shot this man? Sure. And at the end of the day, thankfully... The spray worked, and it drove him away. But there's still that question, well, what if? Because he did continue to advance, but had he not dropped what he had in his hands, would I have been justified? Yes, no. It would have been left up to a jury. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, no, it's not worth it. Not yeah. worth it at all. I, I, I'm fond of saying when it comes to a jury deciding your fate, you never know what 12 random licensed drivers are going to come up with. You know, exactly. this, is, this is critical to self-defenders. You have to realize that your actions will be will be judged by 12 people who have 12 different life experiences. They're filtering their perception of what you did through their uh, interactions with the police, with security, with what happened to their cousin. Uh, you you name it. Another thing I wanted to seize on that you said that I really appreciate is that you try to have as much of what goes down between you and a suspect be where there's a video camera rolling. And that is really, really smart. We had a guest recently, Benjamin uh, Bacchus, who got into a, uh, a shooting with a stalker in front of his own home. And you could uh, I didn't ask him this, but you could you could tell he knew where his security cameras were and where they were not and where the blind spots were. And he tried to make sure what he was doing was as much in front of the cameras as possible. I like I like body cams. I like dash cams on law enforcement because, it you know, as long as you're doing your job correctly, it's the one thing that will save you from, you know, being sued, fired, charged with a crime. When I would do, um, you know, I, I was a fed. We didn't have body cams or dash cams on our cars. But when we were doing interviews, there was always a camera rolling and recording. And as I'm conducting that interview, I'm thinking to myself, how is what I'm doing and saying going to play to a jury of 12 random licensed drivers eight months, three years, four years from now when it finally gets time to go to a, to a criminal trial? And I think that's a good policy because if you mm. if you just assume and I I told my kids growing up, you know if you just assume everything you're doing is on being taped all the time, you'll hardly ever go wrong because you're going to want to avoid even the appearance of impropriety. And so, I think that was a, a great point. Jim, was there anything you wanted to add before we part ways? No, sir. I, I think I, we got it covered. Well, man, I really appreciate you reaching out to us. Uh, as so far. Um, 48 to 0 every guest I've had I consider you a friend and you know you have my email anything I can do for you please let me know and thank you so much for bringing us uh, this story in this video I appreciate you yeah, 
I appreciate your time, sir. Alrighty, gang. Welcome back to the Gutowski Files, featuring our good friend, friend of the channel, friend of mine, Stephen Gutowski. He is the founder of TheReload.com. He is the host of the Weekly Reload Podcast, which you can listen to on all of your finer and not-so-fine podcasting outlets to include YouTube. If you are a member of TheReload.com, which if you're not, you should be, you get that a day early. Stephen, thanks for being on. How are, you, how are you doing, buddy? Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, and I'm glad that you clarified we're on in all of the outlets, including the crappiest podcasting apps that exist. The unsavory outlets as well that will carry because... So, because whatever it's, you're it's, into. Yeah, it's a great show. Know? And if you subscribe to him on uh, YouTube as well, you get all kinds of clips. So if you're not trying to watch a whole podcast, you can check out uh, little clips and bites from his interviews that are all very interesting. So yeah, check that out on YouTube as well. And uh, make sure you like and subscribe and all that kind of stuff. Uh, this week we are talking about, a couple weeks ago we discussed the uh, bill trying to move its way through Congress uh, about an uh, assault weapons ban. And again, uh, just for the record, I, I hate the term assault weapons. It's a stupid term. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, all all firearms are either offensive or defensive, depending on how they're uh, employed. So I think it's a stupid word. Anyway. Well, uh, in this case, it can mean lots of different things. Yes. I guess it's one of the big problems with the term because uh, it's been used, obviously, in laws uh, in several states across the country, your deeper blue states, California, New York, D.C., Maryland. Um, and they have different definitions depending on what state you're in. An assault weapon is a different thing in California than it is in Massachusetts uh, or than it is in this bill. The previous assault weapons ban at the federal level in 94 had a different de definition right. than this new one does. And now they're pretty similar just to give people context of what exactly is they're targeting here to ban. Uh, it's centerfire rifles that are semi-automatic and accept detachable magazines and have one or more of the band features, so things like pistol grips, flash suppressors, telescoping stocks. Uh, things that make them even, no more or less lethal, generally speaking. Sure, uh, people, things that people usually refer to as cosmetic features, but uh, they, they still include some of the 90s ones, like uh, the bayonet lug, mm. um, barrel shrouds, which, uh, I mean, basically barrel shrouds only come on... Uh, uh, retro guns these days right. if you're buying a new gun but anyway uh it also applies to semi-automatic shotguns and certain handguns the same way the old band did it, it it includes some updated stuff like um pistol braces are banned in this uh and so there's it's pretty expansive it would apply to a lot of guns that are very popular obviously it's targeting in particular ar-15 uh rifles and ak-47s and their various uh, derivatives of those guns. So the article is entitled House Democrats Balk Delay Assault Weapons Ban Vote. It is by our favorite reporter, Stephen Gutowski, and it is up on the Reload website. Um, just to be clear for those who are listening, uh, the stuff isn't banned yet because they haven't voted on it. That's what the article is about. Um, I'm just curious, Stephen, before we get going on the main meat of the article, is this, uh, you're much more politically savvy than I am. Is it possible they're trying to delay this and keep delaying it until after the election? Or is that, do you think that's playing into this at all? No. And at first I would say like, it's not banned yet. And it's not realistically, it's not going to be banned. This mm -hmm. vote is re really about whether the house is going to pass this bill because the Senate, there's no chance it's going to pass there. 
Uh, and, and it's very unlikely that the Senate, even if this passed the House, that the Senate would even bring this up for a vote. There's not a lot of time left before uh, the election happens in November. You have through basically September uh, to, to vote on stuff. And they got a lot of stuff that they're doing. And there isn't a lot of support for this in the Senate. And you would need 60 votes to get it through, which means you'd need to convince 10 Republicans. And right now there are exactly zero Republicans in the Senate who uh, have voiced any sort of support for this. And there are a number of Democrats who have said they won't vote for it. So but it's, it's just enough, right? So that the Democrats in their election ads and their campaign ads can say, oh, look, the Republicans didn't vote to save the children. And the Republicans could say, oh, look, they're trebling, coming for your guns. But we stop them. Yeah. yeah. It's a messaging bill. Yeah. You know, which happens at, at this time. It's a messaging bill, though, that uh, it's not really clear a lot of Democratic moderates would be are, are happy with. And that's why this is, this has happened. That's why they were meant to vote on this. Uh, this week, mm-hmm. they wanted to get this through immediately. Um, they were supposed to have a, a rules committee hearing to schedule the vote for the end of the week because there's a uh, Congress is going on recess. They're going back to their districts to you know campaign to you know do meet with constituents, all the stuff that Congress does when it's not in D.C. And so the urgency is to they tr- they want to pass things before those recesses because. Stuff that lingers, stuff that gets left, tends to become harder to pass. And so they, if you couldn't come up with a deal before recess, uh, it might be harder to come up with one after the recess. And so that, that's where they're at right now. They, they, they were trying to attach this to a police funding bill. Some of the moderate Democrats want to add increased funding for police across the country uh, in part because of the you know, rising murder rates that we've seen over the last few yeah, years. I call it and, refund and, the police. Yeah. And in part, as you alluded to there, to sort of push back on uh, the label that they want to defund the police. And so, uh, but of course, the other sectors of the um, the Democratic caucus want, they don't want to do that, or at the very least, they want to add strings to this funding you know, that they get assurances that it will be used in certain ways or there'll be some sort of accountability process for uh, the departments that get the funding, you know, that kind of thing. And so that, that's what they've been fighting over. The, the moderates don't really want this assault weapons ban to uh, vote, and, but they want the police funding vote. And then the, the more liberal members want the opposite. Right? Sure. I think I... I, I found the rather incendiary quote in uh, in your article from a representative, a Democrat named Kurt Schrader out of Oregon. He's talking to Politico and he said, quote, this is a bill that destroyed Democrats in 94. I guess, do we really have a death wish list as Democrats? Uh, it undermines what we already did and reemphasizes to all the people in America that are not hardcore urban Democrats that our party's out of touch. That's quite a statement. Yeah. And Schrader is retiring. Um, He's one of the last sort of blue dog or moderate Democrats in the House. And he's the kind of person that is is making this deal much harder for Speaker Pelosi to put together because the problem for the Democrats is they don't have a very large majority in the House. Uh, You know, the House is different from the Senate. You don't need to get Republicans on board to pass things. You just need your party to be together on an issue. But the problem they're facing is they only have a four vote majority right now. Uh, so 
they can only afford to lose four Democrats from every vote in order to get it through because there's, we'll get into this, but usually there's a pretty uniform opposition from the Republicans. Uh, they, they don't support the Democratic agenda. Right. And, and so you have to get everybody on board with everything you want to take to the floor to get a vote on if you want it to pass. And Pelosi is famous for uh, only bringing things to the floor if she knows she can get it to pass. So uh, that the, the counting game is really hard here. Uh, a lot of the, this is where you get that sort of uh, classic deal-making that goes on, like, you know, the, uh, and we, I talked to uh, John Bresnahan from Punchbowl News, who's uh, been covering the Hill for decades, mm-hmm. one of the best ones out there. And, you know, he, he said, uh, he had a great quote, actually. He said, there are always members who are, you know, I'll be with you if you need me. Just don't ask me unless you really need. Mm. Uh, they always have a vote or two to play with, especially somebody like Pelosi, who's a master of the floor. And so, you know, that's what they're trying to figure out. They're, they're trying to get the progressives and the uh, Congressional Black Caucus is another group that's uh, wants certain assurances for the police funding bill. And they're trying to get them on board by pairing it with the assault weapons ban. And they're trying to do the opposite for the moderates because moderates really want this police funding bill so they can go back and, and promote it uh, in their districts. And it's so far it hasn't worked. And the, the question is, can it work? Because this assault weapons ban, uh, you know, the, they already have five Democrats who basically have said they won't vote for it or at least implied they won't vote for it publicly. Uh, four of them didn't vote for the magazine ban the last time around uh, when they passed the gun control package last month. And so they're already over that limit. The limit's actually going to go down most likely because there's a special election in Minnesota that's coming up on August 9th, which means, and the Republican is favored to win there. And that means they'll only have three vote uh, margin of error right. to get something through. They already lost five Democratic votes. So that implies they'll have to rely on Republicans now. That's where it, you know it can get interesting too, because there are a couple of Republicans who do support the assault weapons ban. It's a it's a tiny percentage of the caucus. It's literally only uh, three guys who, you know, intimated that they would support an assault weapons ban. They haven't said that they will vote for this particular bill, right? But they've said they like the policy in the past. You know. Uh, Fitzpatrick in Pennsylvania, you got uh, Kinzinger in, in Illinois, um, and uh, you got Jacobs in New York. And then there's there's also Brian Mast in, uh, in Florida, who back in 2018 said he supported, but then he voted against the magazine ban. So there's, you know, there's extremely thin margins is the point. And we don't know yet if they can actually get it done. I'm curious what what your thoughts are about this sort of fading away from the forefront of people's consciousness and the Democrats just sort of letting this die and and not bringing it back up again. Is this something that might happen or what do do you think? It's it's a news cycle driven thing. Almost always there's, there's a mass shooting, there's some awful event and then, you know, everybody, both sides of the aisle pounce on it one way or the other. Is this something that's going to, assuming God willing, there's no more of these incidents in the next few months that might just be allowed to fizzle out and forgotten about? That's a good question. I mean, that that's what made this push at this time so odd in the first place, because Democrats made a push for new gun control measures in the immediate aftermath of Uvalde, which was obviously one of the worst uh, mass shootings in 
American history. We've talked about that, at, uh, mm-hmm. you know, at length on the show, but uh, what was not part of that. And it was, they did a whole package. It was like five different policies that they passed uh, after that altogether, including a magazine ban, a 15 round uh, magazine ban uh, on sales of, of magazines that hold more than 15 rounds. And which is traditionally, of course, paired with an assault weapons ban in, in most places where that legislation goes through. But they didn't pair it this time around. They didn't put the assault weapons ban uh, on the floor during that push. They didn't make it part of that package. They hadn't voted on an assault weapons ban. Uh, they still haven't voted on an assault weapons ban since the last one expired in 2004, uh, which sort of implies that like they don't have the votes. You know, They've controlled the House not only for the last four years, but also uh, they controlled it before, you know, back in the, in the 2010s with uh, president Obama and they didn't pass one then either. So, and they didn't do it in the, when the political urgency was at its highest right after Uvalde. And so that doing it now was, was always kind of this odd move that uh, never really made a lot of sense uh, to me, at least as a, you know, somebody who watches this stuff. And now, I mean, they're, they're stuck. They've got, they got caught up. They haven't been able to pass it. Uh, you know, Bresnahan thinks that they, they will continue to try this. They really have until September, but the, the number of days that they, uh, that are actually in DC in session. Yeah. Uh, are relatively limited. It's not like, you know, they, they won't be back from August recess until like halfway through the month. And then they're going to be focused on uh, a couple other priorities. That's the reason they're coming back is to do this, um, you know, chips bill, which has to do with manufacturing of, uh, you know, computer chips in, in the U S and it's a, it's a separate bill. Uh, that's right. why they're coming back because they're not coming back to focus on this though. They, they say that they, they are. And, you know, uh, Bresnahan thinks, seems to think that they're, I mean, Pelosi really wants to get this through. The fact that it went through the Judiciary Committee, that they passed it through there, although the chairman of that committee, Nadler, had sort of some personal motivation to get that done because he's facing off against another uh, current Democratic uh, congresswoman because their districts got merged together. And so, uh, you know, it's a deep blue district. So he some of the theorizing was that this happened in part to give him a win uh, so he could say that he got this through his committee. Um, maybe they, maybe that ends up being enough and they can't get it through the, the house together. It's, it's really pretty up in the air. You know, they wanted to get it done this week and they didn't. That's significant. Doesn't mean it's completely done, but yeah, I mean, if they go, if you get those moderate members or those members in like, you know, D plus five districts, um, you know, there are districts that voted for President Biden by five or seven points that are really, you know, going to be uh, hard, hard elections right. this time around. And they get a lot of constituents talking to them about how much they don't want this ban to go into place while they're back there for recess. You know, maybe that makes them less likely to come back and agree to this deal. Uh, that's that's more what I would see killing it than just uh, time. Right. Although time is sort of the enemy of, of legislation generally. Yeah. There's a, that sense of urgency can, can, uh, can wane after a period of time, but it's always hard to go against Pelosi though, on these sorts of things. So she, if she puts it, if it gets scheduled for a vote, that's how you'll know it's going to probably pass. Okay. 
Yeah, it's just not, not dissimilar to when I would bring a case to the U.S. Attorney's Office. They they wouldn't bring a case against a person unless they were 99% sure they could win it. It's not dissimilar to that. Folks, our friend Stephen Gutowski wades through all this stuff so that we don't have to. You know, I don't have to follow the news too closely because I know Stephen's going to inform me at the end of the week what went down and what it means. Um, his analysis is spot on, and we really appreciate him being on the show. You should go over to thereload.com. First things first, do that. Carefully consider getting a membership. He relies on your uh, your membership to do the fund his important work. Next thing I want you to do is go to Apple Podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. Slap the word Gutowski on it. I don't care if you misspell it. We know we know you love Steven, so it doesn't matter one way or the other. Uh, just to let us know you made it at the end of the show. Those ratings and reviews mean something. What happens is when someone is searching for a podcast related to firearms or related to self-defense, the more ratings we have, the higher the ratings, the more reviews, the more engagement, the more likely Apple or Spotify is to recommend this show or Steven's podcast uh, to you. So go like his, subscribe to his, like mine, leave a review, all that kind of stuff. We really appreciate it. I can't thank you guys enough for listening. Uh, listening. We read the reviews. Me and Steven will text screenshots of the reviews back and forth. Like, hey, look at this. You know, so we are paying attention. We really appreciate you. Steven, man, I can't appreciate you. I can't thank you enough for being on. And uh, God willing, we'll see you next week. Absolutely.